Good evening and welcome to Revelations Radio Network, Revere Radio Network, iTunes, and all the various podcast sites. My name is Chris, and this show is called Nowhere to Run. You can go to our website, which is conspiracyclosed.com slash nowhere to run. You can go to nowhere to run com. All of those will get you to the show, and we thank you for tuning in. You can email me at chris, C-H-R-I-S, at conspiracyclosed.com. Sorry for the uh, shoddy um, uh, sound quality here. I'm... I'm broadcasting from my laptop microphone from inside a running diesel uh, bus, so it's um, going to be subpar at best, but I think it's going to be okay, and we've got a lot of cool stuff to talk about, so we'll just just keep on trucking. First, uh, first I want to talk about uh, RevelationsRadioNetwork.com. If you like this show, you'll really, really dig RevelationsRadioNetwork.com. It's, it's, there are more people being added all the time new podcasters and broadcasters it's it's getting really really cool so so if you do like this show check out revelationsradionetwork.com you can add it on iTunes and they've just added a live stream so you can do that as well and um, and it's it's just turning into something really really cool so and there's not a lot of places you can find this you know Christian conspiracy or conspiracy Christian um, stuff I mean there's just it it's it's a great depository for those people that are that are trying to speak out about the obvious connections between the two. And and if you are doing a podcast yourself and you want to join up, it just contact Frank Lordy, who is uh, the world's busiest man, but he seems to find time for uh, things like that. So you can email him, and you can go to RevelationsRadioNetwork.com and go to the contact info. He'll be the one you'll be talking to. I'm pretty sure. Okay, so let's get right into a few things. First, I want—I do want to talk about the ZeitgeistChallenge.com website. Everything is going really good with that. I'm starting to promote that on uh, MySpace and on the message boards and so on. It's a really, really good thing. People are just barely starting to understand that, that they've been psyoped with that. And that, I mean, it's just so amazing that, that nobody seems to really get that. It's, it's like the common conspiracy consensus is that is a lie we all as as a group believe a complete and total lie and that's because we were told that lie uh, in concert by some of the major conspiracy researchers and are continuing that are continuing to tell us but it's kind of a it's a really catch-22 for those people because it's so unbelievably provable that it, they're lying that it really their credibility is on the line and I think uh, what we're going to be talking about a little later in the show is going to show you at least why some people um, some people have to do this especially if they are involved in secret societies like the Rosicrucians or <clears throat> uh, something like that uh, but anyway we'll we'll get to that in a little bit uh, one thing uh, I do want to mention though about that um, well first of all there was an article that I wrote concerning it called Zeitgeist Helps the New World Order or something like that. Uh, you can find the article on the link section of conspiracyclosed.com slash nowhere to run. But anyway, I was posting that around message boards, and one of the places I did was abovetopsecret.com, which is one of the premier, if not the premier, conspiracy message board situation. And it was like number one for a whole day, which is really rare. And people were starting to get it. People were starting to understand that Zeitgeist was a lie. And the same people that, you know, were before saying, you know, fighting tooth and nail 
telling me that Horus was the same as Jesus and the historical record proved it, now those people are like, well, everybody knows. I always knew that it didn't, you know, that kind of thing. But what was interesting was a guy said in one of the posts, he said something like, you know, well, this is all stupid. Everybody knows it's stupid, yada, yada, yada. And then he was like, there's even people that offer cash prizes on the internet to prove people that prove the claims. I was like, yes, like that's why the Zeitgeist Challenge website is there is to be another nail in the coffin. Like for the people that you know, there's also cash on the line. You know, you can you know you're you're telling people that it's not true. You're telling them all the reasons it's not true, and then you can throw in and there's also cash on the line. So if you really really think so, there's cash waiting for you. You know, so that's kind of the the purpose of it. And one other thing before I get off that, I, I if you want to help promote this whole idea that it's a lie on MySpace, there's a really interesting uh, way to do that. I, I, I've put together some HTML that you can use for the comment section on MySpace, so if you want to just go through and, and and post comments to those people that, you know, whatever, that, that have Zeitgeist on their MySpace page or whatever. Um, basically, the HTML is just the movie that Frank made about it and some of the links debunking it and then um, a little animation thing. And I, I'll put it on the show notes section of conspiracyclothes.com slash nowhere to run and nowhere to run.podomatic.com. And I'll, I'll put it in a little thing where you can actually just copy and paste the HTML and then use that for your for ma uh, posting comments on people's pages. So that'll help really get the word out because MySpace is just incredibly good for that. So if you want to help in that way and you're uh, a MySpace addict um, like most of us are, then, then you can... Uh, you can do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, let's get into something. I want to talk about something that I think is uh, ridiculously important. And I don't really know what I'm going to say about it, so it's going to end up being a rant of sorts. But it's about, I guess it's about happiness. And I guess it's about this idea of what happiness is and that it's, I don't know if it's just America or whatever, but we've put this all importance on happiness. Like if you ask people what life was about, most of the people, including Christians and everybody else, would say, well, you know, it's not really about money, it's not really about that, it's just about being happy, you know, it's just about, you know, being happy, getting your things together, and just being happy, I don't need money, I don't need this, I don't need that, I just need to be happy, and then, then life is, is complete, and everything works out, and, you know, I, I think there's, <clears throat> the reason that works is because there's, there's truth there, but I think it's, it's that being happy is a product of of doing, of, of of doing life successfully, if that's a really the wrong way to say it. It, it, it's what you are if you if you are playing the game right. But it's not what you should do. Let me try to say it like this. I mean, it, it's like most people will say, you, you know, they have all. Everybody has their thing. Like you know, if I had, if we just had some more money, we could go on vacations more, and that's what that's what would make us happy. If we could just do that more often, you know, we would really be happier. You know, we could, if we, if we could just have this or have that, you know, we could be happy or, you know, once I could finally make enough money where I wouldn't have to work so much, then I could, then I could be happy and I could just be happy then, you know, if I didn't have to work so much, but just had a little bit more, a little less of this or whatever. And, you know, and, and it's really exemplified, I think, a lot of times with the way that they've taught uh, women nowadays. Like, if you go look at the magazines, you know, like the little, the little sub articles on the magazines at the checkout stand. I mean, it's all like how to d 
do this, how to have sex better, how to have sex more, how, what the beauty, the hundred ways to have sex in this way, and sex is great, and sex is, I mean, it's not, it, what the whole, the whole thing is not so much, oh, well, they're talking about sex, it's about, it's about they're saying that if you are, can make yourself as sensual as possible, then you can get a, a, a husband, that's how you get a husband, is by practicing and being very good at sensual and sex stuff, and then you'll get a husband, and then you'll be happy, you know, it's a psyop, you know, I mean, it's, in, in a lot of cases, it's provably a psyop, with, like, in the 60s, with, like, Miss Magazine and the CIA, basically propagating the idea of, uh, women should, should join the workforce, and it worked because there was a lot of truth in that, just like everything in the world that, that's, that's a deception, there's a huge chunk of truth in the women's liberation movement, but, but if you look at it from a Rockefeller standpoint, that that they, you know, I'm just using that in the general term, but they basically doubled the workforce by that. They produced, all of a sudden we went from producing uh, X amount of widgets to double that amount of, of goods and services by doubling the workforce. By women joining the workforce, we doubled the workforce, and then they cut the interest rates in half so then it was which they completely control so that's so now it, it takes both the husband and wife working as hard as they can 40 plus hours a week just to make the same amount of money gold that it took um, before that happened they just they they stole that from us I mean it used to be that a man could you know provide for the entire family but that was before they doubled the widgets and cut back the interest rates. I mean, it was a it was a game. They they did that on purpose. But my point is, um, I got off the subject there on a little conspiracy side note. But but that, we all are looking for some kind of um, you know happiness, and we we've been told probably somewhere in this in this thing a lie about what it is that's going to make us happy. And I want to suggest something that that might be a possible um, way to get it and to be fulfilled. I, I don't think, personally, that it's about being happy. And I'm not saying it's about being serious and working really hard and whatever. I, I, I think that happiness is a byproduct of what I'm suggesting, and that is purpose is is your is the main thing be, fulfilling your purpose doing what you were born to do using your talents and your gifts and the things that you know and the, the positions you're in and using the things that you have for the purpose that they were given to you for not for another purpose not for a purpose that you can also use them for if you were so inclined but the purpose that you were intended to do and I'll also suggest, I mean, from the last week's interview with Russ Dizdar, which is a really, really good interview if you get a chance to listen to it. It's one of uh, one of the best interviews, I think, um, as far as just information is concerned. But we talked a little bit about this Great Commission and that, that all of heaven, I mean, every every ounce of the energy and that are, are, are with the the hosts of heaven and everything is concerned with the winning of souls. I mean, they, power is given to those that, that win souls. And that's all it's about. I mean, purpose, your purpose more than likely has something to do with leading people to or in the right direction of something that can save souls. I mean, if that's cold calls or, I mean, and, and again, um, it, it's not like, 
you have to jump in and do somebody else's work, you know. Maybe your thing most likely isn't doing whatever a, a you know, like Russ, you know, does. I mean, his his just street level um, uh, evangelism. I mean, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe, but but more than likely, you have a talent, a gift, a genius, something that would be what would fit perfectly into that goal. And and here's a, a misconception I think is oftentimes. Um, uh, thought that 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 you won't like it, and that's not true. If you're doing what what it is that you're made to do, like for me, like I'm probably doing that or part of it or something to do with it right now. And th but that's also because my whole life has been about preparing me basically to do this. You know, I always liked the kind of things where you know I was talking <laughs> or you know I, you know. So when I do this, it seems natural. I mean, but it would seem unnatural if I was doing your um, duty, which, which whatever that is, it, it would almost seem like a chore for me to do your your thing. But um, you see what I'm saying? I mean, and it was the same way that you you were thinking. Well, I could never do what you do, but I could never do what you do. I mean, you will like what it is that you're supposed to do because it's so natural. Because everything in your whole life has been building you up to doing it. And you know, you think about people that are supposed to be doing what, you know, let's say a movie star or something, you know? I know some of you or somebody out there probably has a similar thing, like, if I could just be a movie star or if I could just be some kind of thing like that, some kind of worldly uh, goal of, of uh, attaining some great position or something, then I would be happy. But I, I just almost guarantee you that, that those people are still not fulfilling that purpose and they have still, you know, a, a purpose to fulfill, I, I think. I don't know. But let me also suggest to you this, that that money and everything is, is, is almost the biggest deterrent to true happiness that you can have. And I, I, I want to say it like, like this. I've said this, I think, on the show before, but when I was really, really poor, not that I'm not extremely poor right now, but, but if I, when I was really, really poor... Um, I, like, I would get, I remember one time getting an apple, like, when I just had enough money to go to the store and get an apple, and it was, like, so happy to eat the, the apple. I mean, it was like every bite was a total thanking God for it moment, and it was so delicious, it was so amazing, it was, it was so good, and that moment of happiness there, true, like, happiness that, that is complete, that would completely elude somebody that, that uh, had a bag of apples and, and a pocket full of $100 bills, you know? That apple would mean absolutely nothing to them. They would never eat it because, you know, they don't particularly care for apples, you know? Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? And I, even at that point of poverty, you're, you don't, you know, it's not like, oh, I don't care for apples. and be like, oh, no, seriously, food? You're going to give me that? Really? And, and that's kind of a mic microcosm, I guess, of, what I think the future is going to hold for us that are living in this world and this time and I keep saying this and it's so important that if you are if you if you kind of got one foot in like thinking about things of this world and you know are really are really thinking about it it's so important to get out of it and really start trusting God for your provisions and praying every day for faith because it's it's by faith that we're going to see all these miracles happen. 
you know, it's, you know, people talk about storing up food and storing up water, and that's a really, really good idea, and I really recommend it, but what I would store up and start working diligently, harder than you've ever worked on anything in your life, is working on your faith. Faith comes from hearing and, you know, and really diving into the Word and everything like that, but and just pray for faith. You can pray for faith because we're going to need the kind of faith like in Acts, in the book of Acts. And those kind of things, you know, the, they were those apostles were doing great works, but it, was, it wasn't... It, it's, it, those works are still being done today by people that have faith. And those guys weren't any better than us. They, it's just that they had actually seen Jesus do them, you know. They, they had a lot of faith because they had seen, you know, blessed are those that, uh, that uh, believe that have not seen. And that's kind of where we are here 2,000 years later. We haven't seen, we haven't really, you know, we're a long time from from uh, from seeing, you know, walking along the shores of the Galilee with Jesus Christ. So we, we've we got a lot of faith building to go, but but a lot of us are there. A lot of you are there. And yeah, I don't know if I, I made that, that made any sense, but um, anyway we have to really get into this idea of of just being provided for by God is exactly what you want. You know, a lot of people say that, you know, that have money now, it's like, you know, I notice now that when I was happiest, it was when we didn't have any money. You know, looking back on it, it was when we didn't have money that we were so happy. I am suggesting to you that in this coming crazy apocalyptic style war world war of the worlds I don't know um, this thing where Christians are going to be persecuted that we're going to be enemy number one of the state that there's going to be arrests or there's going to be prison camps there's going to be a lot of dark dark stuff in in that world where we will be completely dependent on God is going to be when we really realize what true purpose was, and that is dependency on on God. And that sounds to our worldly ears ridiculously bad. Oh no 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 no! I don't want to be dependent on God. I, I want to be able to do my you know my own thing or whatever. But that's that's just that's until you understand what dependency on God is, and then you see Him work on a daily basis, and you see that your prayers are answered every single time. And you, and it's just, and then it becomes this loop of praise and thanks, and then more prayer for more of what you need, and it's more provisions. It's just a circle of fulfillment, and and that is what I don't know. It's it, it's probably not what life's about, but it it it's a good start to what life's about. Is just is understanding that dependency on God, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have to have money. Um, because I think that there are plenty of rich people that live like that too, although it's really hard. And I, I think people look at the, the when Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. That's not like a condemnation on rich people like, you know, I hereby declare that any rich people are, uh, you know, are going to have a hard time getting into heaven. It's that it's hard for somebody with a lot of money to, to realize that, um, that, to, to be dependent on God and my mom is a, a good example of that she knows somebody and she used to uh, uh, be like a nanny to some seriously really really rich people and you probably know even their names but they they she had actually told the the, the guy the main guy there that they had this kind of religious conversation they weren't weren't Christians 
I don't think, or maybe they were on the face of it, I don't know. But that was the issue, that, that, that they could never trust God because there wasn't a, a single thing in life that has ever come up that they couldn't throw money at to fix. And, you know, that's, that's a huge deal. I think that that's the root of that, that statement by Jesus. So there might be other ones, I'm sure, but that's at least part of it. That, that, that it's, if you never have any dependency on God and, and it's just on yourself, then, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of learning to do. And again, I think that just to re, restate, I think the purpose is not happiness, but happiness is the product of being fulfilled in your purpose. That, that hole in your heart that seems to need filling is because you have a job to do that you're not doing. And there is a purpose that you need to fulfill. And it's not like, I think a lot of people are waiting on God to show them their purpose. And so many people, so many people have gotten married and they had these grandiose dreams that magazines and television and everybody and movies and everybody told them that one day that they would have this great thing show up and they would show them this great purpose that they were supposed to do. And it was, it was all about fear like uh, anyway let me let me say what I'm trying to say there um, again sorry for the rant here but it's like fear is the is the main thing that keeps people from doing their purpose because usually every time somebody has okay this is a good point this this is a good way to illustrate what I'm trying to say um, fear to me was what made me um, so close to God. It was the act of actually, you know, going from, yeah, I believe in all this stuff and whatever, to actually putting it out there and putting myself on the line and then doing things that I know if, that if I'm right, I'm extremely uh, a big target for a lot of evil and a lot of, you know, bad government stuff or whatever. And it was the act of, of going out there and, and, putting it on the line that makes you dependent on God, that makes you have to run to God for protection. And it's in that motion that that it all makes sense. And I think that most people have a, a, a moment like that against their per particular fear. I, I'd say most of you that understand what I'm saying, that there is a purpose and it has to do with leading people to Jesus Christ and to getting as much people, as, as many as we can, before it's too late for them in this dire time, and that that's what your purpose is and your talents need to be focused towards that, there is a fear blocking you from doing that. But I'm saying run at the fear. Go headfirst at the fear. And that's where the power of God is, is in that cloud of fear that, that, that's keeping you from doing it. That's where he becomes most evident, and his power is is in that. And I, I like what Russ Dizdar always says about David and Goliath. And, you know, they were all sitting behind the rocks listening to Goliath blaspheme God. And they were all, you know, they all didn't want Goliath blaspheming God, but it was it was his little boy, David, that just simply had faith that God was real and that God, you know, means what he says and says what he means. And if that's true, if he really does uh, mean what he says, then he's going to go out there and God is going to be with him. You know, and, and I think that that's where a lot of us are, is behind the rocks, 
unwilling to face the fear because we don't have the faith. So faith really becomes the the thing that we need the most. It becomes the very, very most important thing that we can pray for and seek and and it, and and learn. And you know, it, if you want to go to uh, a good thing, is to just continue to listen to things that. Um, that would give you faith. There's a firefighters.org is a great place for a lot of audio of sermons, and it's not just like stupid, you know, biased or crazy sermons or anything. They're, they've done a really good job of picking very, uh, very good stuff, I think. And so firefighters.org and just, I mean, this just on the total base level where it says, you know, faith comes from hearing. Well, here's some audio, but, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. Pray for faith. Continually to pray for it because. Anyway, I got another little thing to say about the fear issue. Um, my girlfriend was telling me about something concerning, I can't remember what it is, it was like, maybe it was like reading some kind of like old uh, G.K. Chesterton or something like that, but it was this, it was a story about one of these uh, saints or something that um, Basically, he, he was a military guy, and he really wanted to be in the military, and he wasn't afraid of battle, and he was super, you know, super gung-ho battle guy, and he had no fear for it. But what his fear was, was of lepers, and he was, like, deathly afraid of lepers. And something, I, I'm going to tell the story wrong, but basically, he, he got injured or something where he couldn't fight in the military any longer, and it was, and so he was really torn up about that and he had you know and the whole gig was he had no fear of that issue but he was deathly afraid of lepers and it and then it came to his mind that he had to face that fear the fear of lepers before he could you know be used or something to that effect and it just so happened that as he was riding uh, his horse there was this leper in the middle of the street and he understood the significance of it he was like okay I, I understand what you're saying so he got off his horse and went up there and hugged the leper and kissed the leper then it was at that point that, that he began to be used for all the things that he did in his life, which uh, eventually got him sainted. Well, that, you know, I'm not promoting the, um, the, the Catholic Church or anything, but you know, I'm sure the saints had a good reason for being saints, you know, even before they were deified. Um, okay, that was a rant. I don't know if I made any sense there. I hope I did. I, I don't know if I brought it to a conclusion. If, let me just take a quick second to think about if there's a conclusion there. Uh, you know, just that, just that life is, is a really interesting journey and it's like building up a muscle. You know, we're here, we're eternal beings. We've got, well, I don't know if we're, we were anywhere before, but we're definitely eternal after this and we've got a long way to go. There's, there's a big plan for us even after we die. This is just a part of this. This is just, uh, I don't know if it's, it, it, it's as simple as saying it's a, it's a training session or it's a test or something like that but we're here to do to build up our muscles some of us will build up more than others some but but it's a good it's a good um, thing to know that we're here to try to resist temptation to build up that muscle to continually go towards those things that that um, that would hold us back to to face our fears to resist temptation to to grow spiritually you know that's what spirituality is. You know, it's it's worship, is and it's and it, it's it, it's striving to be good because of a love for the Creator of of 
heaven and earth. I mean, it's about love of him. And, and the love, once you, once you start to love him, all the rest of it falls into place and it all makes sense. And you start to realize that this creator of heaven and earth is a really, really good guy. Like, it doesn't make any sense that this guy, would, which did all this stuff, that put all these laws of nature and everything into motion, also rocks, is absolutely, exactly how he should be. He is, I don't know what, I mean, but even the term should be is, is, is relative because he shouldn't be anything. I mean, there was, if he was a tyrant, we would have to still bow down and worship him, but he isn't. He is so merciful, and he's like the most faithful God in the world. He answers prayers that you forgot completely that you prayed about. He is attentive and loving, and 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 you really should uh, should start seeking him and knock. He is uh, knock, and the door shall be open, and that is about as true as a seek. Seek and you shall find, knocking the door shall be open. And there's one other part of that I can't remember. Okay. Sorry about that. Preaching there. I would take a quick break here, but I just realized my sound card and my computer is... I, I've been having some major issues here with the uh, computer situation lately. And I've just, uh, you know, just been overwhelming sometimes. But... Um, you know, again, let me just uh, take this time to ask, you know, if you want to support the show, the way you do that is by prayer. And I want to ask you, in addition to praying for me, if you could pray for my girlfriend. And I, I, I just sometimes feel like, you know, I'm getting the all the all the prayers and, and, you know, it's really helping me out. I mean, I'm just it's very evident in my life that that some people out there are praying for me and just pray in any way that you feel that we need. You know, I'll leave that part up to you, but certainly to keep us, uh, uh, um, you know, from giving out any disinformation, but certainly to help pray for her too. Her name is Connie, and uh, if you could just pray for us, we would really, really appreciate it. Okay, um, the next thing I want to talk about is something that you hear all the time, and if you're a conspiracy researcher, you've run into this for sure. And that is that um, the various conspiracy theories about King James and Francis Bacon and all this stuff, and it is re really awesome to to debunk these claims because it's such a faith-building issue because they're so wrong. And I can't believe that I, I've never looked into this because I've actually defended this argument before, and I've defended it completely wrong. I, 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 I've defended it like somebody who just... You know, had uh, I don't know, I just defended it in a way that I didn't have to because because the other way because they were just really wrong. One of the there's a lot of attacks on first on first of all on King James, and that's what I'm going to play a, a long audio clip here that's going to explain uh, something about that. And King James was apparently a really really cool guy. This guy uh, rode a lot and. The one thing that people never that there's like three basic books that that everybody quotes when they talk about King James, and all three of those were written by people that had every reason in the world to debunk King James. Uh, high occultist uh, disciples of John D. Rosicrucians, um, people. I mean, King James almost single-handedly. Uh, we'll see here. Uh, 
defeated the Rosicrucians in Europe. So, I mean, they didn't like the guy. And also, in the process of debunking King James, you get to debunk the Bible. And so it's a win-win situation for these high-level occultists. And it also explains, you know, and, and there's other recent uh, occultists, and I'm not talking about Tessarian here, I know that's what a lot of people are thinking of, but there's other Rosicrucians that really attack... Um, I, I, I just totally called Tessarian Rosicrucian, but, you know, he is, as far as I can tell. Um, I don't think he's he would deny it, he just has been mute on it ever since the, uh, the accusations came to him. But the situation is that there are known Rosicrucians, high-level Rosicrucians today, that continue to spread the misinformation about, um, I, uh, you know, King James and everything. And I just want you to listen to this from Barbara Aho. I think A-H-O is her name. I don't know. I think it's how you pronounce it. But she, she does a, uh, a show. She does a lot of interviews on uh, another show that I'm about to play here. Her website is watch-pair.com. I think I'll link it in the show notes. I'm not always on board. I, I've known about her website for a long time. There's some things there that you know, or whatever. I think don't think we see eye to eye on everything, but this is this is really interesting stuff. And um, I also wanted to just say a few more things about that. First of all, the Francis Bacon thing is something you get a lot of, and the argument that I used to argue that the fact that Francis Bacon changed the Bible and wrote the Bible was um, that. Well, you know, it's it's a ridiculously stupid way to say it because, first of all, he can't change the Hebrew, you know, the Torah, which was well, you know, hundreds and thousands of years before Francis Bacon ever showed up. And if he changed the Torah, one letter was changed in the in the um, uh, King James version. All the Jews in the world would know about it, and they had they don't have any loyalty to the Christian Bible. I mean, they would say, hey, you know. Uh, when you copied the Torah, you got it wrong here, 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 and here, and here, and they have done that to be to be fair, but it's all in like you know punctuation stuff. You know, there's like there are there are mistakes in the copy, the copying and things like that, but there's no like huge, you know, big things like that. I mean, there's no there's no uh, the things that people say are in there. I mean, it didn't change. So there, so to say that Francis Bacon was able to completely pull one over on the entire Jewish world and Greek world for that matter because because we have all these Greek texts that that re, that predate Francis Bacon by you know around 1600 years 1500 at least that that are were widely circulated and so widely circulated that every and and the the odd thing about the wide circulation is that they all said the exact same thing the word for word letter for letter I mean, a, a, a manuscript found in Asia was the exact same thing found from a different time period in another continent. I mean, they weren't changed. That, that the integrity of the copying was the was the amazing thing. So Francis Bacon would had to have collected every single ancient uh, writing of the New Testament as well, and 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 it was just it's a stupid thing to say. Now here's the the other thing to rebut uh, the. Francis Bacon thing is that he was never even you know they always say he was one of the translators one of the 54 translators well that's not true he wasn't a translator at all I mean that's just not true and all the the things and granted uh, Francis Bacon was you know a uh, a cultist and a pedophile and you know uh, and a Rosicrucian I think he was a Rosicrucian 
Um, but he was definitely a member of like the Order of the Helmet, you know, all this stuff that you know did write Shakespeare's stuff, or at least the Order of the Helmet. He edited it and all this stuff. But but yeah, that doesn't there. So yeah, you you got the conspiracy theory uh, thing going there, you know, Shakespeare and all that. But not on the King James thing. But anyway, the point of what I'm about to play is to show you who King James was and what an amazing guy this was. How I never even knew this is amazing. It, it, this guy was was a uh, a really really interesting guy, and I want to play you this uh, selected bit of audio from uh, Barbara Aho and uh, her on a show from the Brian Chronicles. And uh, I'll just go ahead and play it. Please stay tuned for it. And uh, I guess that's I'm going to end the show at the end of it. So this will be the end of that. If you want to email me your hate mail and the rest of it, you can do it at Chris C H R I S at conspiracyclothes.com. You can go to our website, check the show notes of all the things that I mentioned, which is at conspiracyclothes.com/slash nowhere to run and nowhere to run dot podomatic. So. Um, this is about an hour long. I think it's two hours altogether. So if you want to check the show notes section, you'll you can find the entire second part of this. And uh, there's other another actually three two hour series that she did about these issues. So so I'll link that there as well. So there's a lot of information here if you want to check it out. And uh, if you have an i, I just thought I might mention this. If you have an i, if you just have the iTunes thing. And you just every bit of audio that you have is basically has to come through the podcasts. Here's how you find out where those actual MP3s are being stored on your computer because I know that iTunes is just the most ridiculous program in the history of the world. Um, if you want to find out where you where iTunes is storing those MP3s, go to my music. Um, well, go to programs or whatever. Go to my music, then go to I think it's uh, my music music or whatever. And uh, then go to podcasts, and you'll see that's where they're they're being stored. And you can actually store other things in that folder, and I believe that they'll show up on your iTunes thing. So you could save to disk to that folder, and I think it would show up in your iTunes library. Could be wrong about that, but I haven't tried that. But it's at least you can you could figure out something there. You could move. Uh, yeah. Okay. Enough of that. I'm gonna play this. And uh, power to the people. All glory be to God. Later. Um, I'd like to start out today by reading from uh, some of the works of King James himself. Uh, he was a prolific writer. Uh, he was an excellent writer. And you will see as I read from his works that he was a student of the scriptures, uh, that he took his uh, role as the head of the Church of England very seriously, and he had a pastor's heart. Um, towards his people. And I'm going to start by reading from his book on uh, demonology. Now, the way I found out about this book was not through any Christian sources, but from reading Francis Yates' book, The Rosicrucian Enlightenment. And lo and behold, on in that book, she refers to the fact that King James actually wrote a book. And uh, so um, my colleague and I, we got our, uh, went looking for this book, and we found out that the only copy in print was published by
by Weka. And uh, that was very curious to us, so we ordered several copies. And I just want to start out by reading from the preface, or I'm sorry, the back cover of this book, which we ordered from uh, Godolphin House, which is the school of Wicca. And what they had to say about this book and the reason that they published it. Okay, uh, and I quote from the back cover of this publication. This book was used by many as an excuse to torture, maim, and kill many thousands of women. James became convinced at the Danish court that witchcraft was real and that the central source of the witch's power was a demonic pact. James focused attention on witchcraft because his underlying fear was that magical means might be used to end his life as the divinely ordained king of Scotland. Uh, after his return from the continent in 1590, he became intensely interested in sorcery and witchcraft trials, and particularly the trial of his political enemy, Bothwell. Witches were visit, uh, vigorously hunted and persecuted to such an extent that some villages had no females left in them. Uh, now, this is, of course, not all not true. Uh, I'm continuing with their uh, statement about James. The period ends with the publication of this demonology in 1597. Because of the impact of the demonology on the ruling classes, more trials were now held with the king's approval and very many more convictions were obtained. This book should therefore be in every true witch's library, at the very least, as a monument to those who died. So that was the statement by the School of Wicca on and the reason for publishing this book. Now, this book, of course, is no longer in print, and the School of Wicca has stopped uh, publishing it, uh, probably because about uh, seven or eight years ago when I discovered the book, uh, my colleague and I, and also there's another ministry that began to publish the contents of this book on their website. Um, this is a website called King James or His Majesty uh, King James the Sixth and First, and it's a very good website. Uh, but now they've taken it off the market. It's it's uh, impossible to obtain. Um, but it is uh, available on my website and on this other website. Uh, if you type into the search engines, um, His Majesty King James the Sixth and First, you'll come on this uh, website of very excellent information on King James and his writings. And there is just a ton of information there about King James the Man. Uh, King James as in all of his uh, roles and responsibilities. Um, but uh, there's also uh, some of the writings of Stephen Coston, who um, wrote uh, a book uh, ex uh, refuting all of the lies about King James being a homosexual. And there's also a very good article there by Stephen Coston, um, called The Insult to Indictment, 
the critical case against James the Sixth and First critiqued with reference to primal British law, the royal prerogative in English jurisprudence. And this dealt with James' relationship uh, to the law of Great Britain that was already in place when he became king. And Stephen Coston writes, we now come to a novel charge, namely that James the Sixth and the First was a sadist because of his persecution of witches, as his detractors uh, affirm. James, uh, in other words, asking the question, was James a sadist? And he says, absolutely not. James took his lawful role as head of the Anglican Church seriously. Witchcraft was condemned by both Scottish and English law, and the penalty was death. Um, James the sixth and first, uh, the sixth of Scotland and the first of England, exercised this judgment many times. And then he states uh, in parentheses, "Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live," is the biblical injunction, Exodus 22:18. So uh, James was simply, um, King James was enforcing the law as it already was on the books in England and Scotland at the time. Um, And I'm going to read uh, some portions from his book on demonology. It was a treatise on witchcraft. Um, James took the scriptures very seriously, and his role as the head of the Church of England very seriously. And through his book, he was being obedient to God's uh, command in Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but even reprove them, or rather expose them. And through this book on demonology, uh, he proceeded to expose the hidden works of darkness to his subjects, um, because he, uh, through his uh, kingship over Scotland, which was a uh, in Scotland, as uh, we discussed yesterday, uh, witchcraft was very strong in Scotland because of the presence over several centuries of the Knights Templars and the Druids in that country, and James had to deal with this criminal element in Scotland. And this is actually when he wrote the book on demonology as King of Scotland uh, before he even ascended uh, the throne of England. And I'm just going to read the chapter headings from this book. Uh, as I re- read this book, I thought, why is does not a treatise on witchcraft exist uh, uh, in our own country? Why don't the pastors expose uh, these unfruitful works of darkness so that the uh, Christians are informed and know what the Scripture says about them and how to avoid them and how to even recognize them? And this is this uh, uh, lack of, of fulfilling of their responsibility as pastors has led to widespread ignorance of occultism. Um, It is virtually ignored in the pulpits today, and so when Gnosticism and occultism uh, creep into the church, 
the way they have uh, not only creep in, but there there is an, an occult invasion of the church of these false doctrines and practices. Uh, the Christians are uh, disarmed; they don't even recognize it. And so, James King James wanted his subjects to be educated on this so that they would recognize it and repudiate it. And I'm just going to read uh, the chapter headings and then some of the uh, excerpts from this very excellent uh, book written by King James. Okay, it's written in three books. Uh, the first book, uh, a Description of Magic in Special. Uh, that's what is dealt with in the first book. Chapter 1, proven by the scripture that these unlawful arts of this sort have been and may be put into practice. And this is written in the form of a dialogue. Uh, Philos Mathes and Epistemon reason the matter. Chapter 2, what kind of sin the practizers of these unlawful arts commit. Now, Remember, this is written in Elizabethan English, so it's not going to, uh, it's a little bit difficult uh, to pronounce a lot of this, but I'll do my best. Okay, continuing with Chapter 2, the division of these occult arts, and what are the means that allures any to practice them? Chapter 3, the significations and etymologies of the words of magi and necromancy. Uh, the difference between necromancy and witchcraft. What are the entrances and beginnings that brings any to the knowledge thereof? Chapter uh, 4, the description of the rudiments and school, which are the entrances to the art of magic, and in special, the differences between astronomy and astrology. Uh, the division of astrology in diverse parts. Um, and I just want to interject that instead of uh, our Christian leaders teaching on the difference between astronomy and astrology, now we have them promoting astrology. Uh, and uh, the Christians basically unaware that uh, what they are learning is astrology, uh, as in the a book by D. James Kennedy on the real meaning of the Zodiac. Okay, continuing with uh, the chapters in King James' book on the demonology. Uh, chapter 5, how far the using of charms is lawful or unlawful. The description of the forms of circles and conjurations and what causes the magicians themselves to weary thereof. Chapter 6, The Devil's contact, Contract with the Magicians, the division thereof in two parts. What is the difference between God's miracles and the devil's? Uh, chapter 7, The Reason Why the Art of Magic is Unlawful, What Punishment They Merit, and Who May Be Accounted Guilty of That Crime. Okay, moving ahead to the second book. Uh, deals with the description of sorcery and witchcraft. Chapter 1, proved by the scripture that such a thing can be, and the reasons refuted of all such 
as would call it, but an imagination and a melancholy humor. So here he's refuting those who say, well, witchcraft doesn't really exist. Um, it's all just uh, a psychological aberration, um, which is uh, today uh, the idea that is, I think, uh, promoted from the pulpit very often, that demon possession is just a mental disorder. Um, okay, chapter 2, uh, the etymology and signification of that word sorcery, the first entrance and apprenticeship of them that give themselves to that craft. In other words, how you get involved in this uh, witchcraft, this form of witchcraft. Chapter 3, what are the ways possible whereby the witches may transport themselves to places far distant are distant, and what are impossible and mere illusions of Satan and the reasons thereof, in other words, uh, out-of-body experiences, and I'm, I'm explaining, uh, and what they really are, uh, what these witches are really doing. Chapter 5, uh, the witches' actions toward others. And in this chapter, I'm quoting King James, he says, These witches, uh, on the other part, being enticed either for the desire of revenge or of worldly riches, their whole practices are either to hurt men and their goods or what they possess for satisfying of their cruel minds in the former or else by the rack in whatsoever sort of any whom God will permit them to have the power of to satisfy their greedy desire in the last point. Um, so these witches uh, do harm to people, either out of revenge or out of greed, and he discusses their various motivations. Okay, continuing with uh, Chapter 5, the headings, the heading why there are more women of that craft than men, and what things are possible to them who effectuate by the power of their master, uh, meaning the devil, and the reasons thereof. What is the surest remedy of the harm done by them? Chapter 6, what sort of folks are least or most subject to receive harm by witchcraft? what power they have to harm the magistrate. Uh, and by magistrate, he's referring to the king. Um, and, of course, their, their wicked devices and Satan's wicked devices would certainly be, be directed uh, toward the king. And uh, also the fact that these witches and sorcerers and occultists are a seditious element within any society. They seek to overthrow the king and to overthrow the government and to put their own people in power. All right, continuing with um, chapter 6, uh, the chapter heading, and upon what respects they have any power in prison and to what end may or will the devil appear to them in prison upon what respects the devil aspires or appears in sundry shapes to sundry of them at any time. 
uh, chapter 7 in book 2, two forms of the devil's visible conversing in the earth with the reasons wherefore the one of them was communed uh, communist in the time of the papistry, uh, meaning the period when the Catholic Church had total domination uh, over uh, Western civilization. And the other, it's hard to make out some of these words, and the other sin sign, those that denies the power of the devil denies the power of God and are guilty of the error of the Sadducees. Uh, The third book, uh, the description of all these kinds of sprites or spirits that troubles men and women. The conclusion of the whole dialogue. And then chapter one, the chapter heading is the division of spirits in four principal kinds, the description of the first kind of them called spectra, and umbre mortuorum, what is the best way to be free of their trouble? Chapter 2, the description of the next two kinds of spirits, whereof the one follows outwardly and the other possesses inwardly the persons uh, that they trouble. In other words, he's talking here about demon oppression, which is external and demon possession, which is internal. Uh, Continuing that since all prophecies and visions are now ceased, all spirits that appears in these forms are evil. In other words, he's telling his subjects not to trust in any apparitions of any kind because we now have the word of God uh, and that God, who formerly spoke through Uh, his prophets and dreams and visions, now has spoken to us through his Son, as the book of Hebrews informs us. Um, Chapter 3, the description of a particular sort of that kind of following spirits uh, called Incubi and Succubi, and what is the reason wherefore these kinds of spirits haunt most the northern and the barbarous parts of the world. Um, Now, and then chapter 4 of the third book, the description of the demoniacs and possessed. By what reason the papists may have power to cure them? In other words, he goes into... Uh, why the Roman Catholic exorcists uh, seemingly were able to exorcise these demons. And uh, I just want to read what he says about this. <clears throat> A few who are possessed indeed are fully cured by them, but rather the devil is content to release the body hurting of them for a short space thereby to obtain the perpetual hurt of the souls of so many that by these false miracles may be induced or confirmed in the profession of that erroneous religion. So although the Catholic Church uh, 
ostensibly uh, could deliver some people from demon possession, uh, that the devil uh, may have allowed that uh, in order to keep them enslaved in a false religious system. Uh, James says elsewhere in various places that he is no papist. Uh, he uh, calls it a, a false religion uh, in no uncertain terms. Okay, chapter 5 of the third book of the demonology, the description of the fourth kind of spirits called fairy, meaning fairies. Uh, what is possible therein and what is but illusions? How far this dialogue entreats of all these things and to what end? And then the final chapter uh, of the final book of the demonology, of the trial and punishment of witches. What sort of accusation ought to be admitted against them? And I'm going to read a portion of this uh, so that the reader, uh, the listeners can understand that King James was no sadist. Uh, he was not out torturing uh, people that he were his enemies as witches uh, for the sake of getting rid of his enemies and going on witch hunts. But he speaks for himself how a godly king um, is simply carrying out uh, what the law of the land had mandated over there in Great Britain before he even uh, became the king of Scotland and England. And James writes of these witches, they ought to be put to death according to the law of God, the civil and imperial law and municipal law of all Christian nations. The prince magistrate for further trials cause may continue the punishing of them such a certain space as he thinks convenient, but in the end to spare the life and not to strike when God bids strike and so fever, uh, feverly punish in so odious a fault and treason against God. It is not only unlawful, but doubtless no less sin in that magistrate nor it was in Saul's sparing of Agag. In other words, uh, when God commands it, the king has to carry out uh, the, the law of the land and the law of God and not be like Saul, who spared Agag, uh, the king uh, of the Amalekites, and so uh, was guilty of rebellion. Okay, I'm continuing to quote King James. And so, indeed, to beware whom they condemn. Oh, no. And so, comparable to the sin of witchcraft itself, as Samuel alleged at that time. Judges ought to, indeed, beware whom they condemn, for it is as great a crime, as Solomon saith, to condemn the innocent, as to let the guilty escape free. Uh, Proverbs 17. Neither ought the report of any one infamous person be admitted for a sufficient proof which can stand of no law. Okay, uh, finally, 
what is the cause of the increasing so far of their number in this age? And then King James answers, but the causes are over-manifest that makes them to so be rife. For the great wickedness of the people on the one part procures this horrible defection whereby God justly punishes sin by a greater iniquity and on the other part the consummation of the world and our deliverance drawing near maketh Satan to rage the more in his instruments knowing his kingdom to be so near an end. Uh, and he's quoting Revelation 12. So he's saying that the practice, the, the sin, was so rife in Scotland that witchcraft was proffering, uh, prospering in that land. And also he seemed to recognize that the end of the age was drawing near um, and that Satan's uh, time was short and that he was... Uh, in a rage uh, against God and mankind and trying to draw as many into his net as possible. So um, that is basically an overview of the demonology. Um, there are, uh, is very interesting information in this little book on how to recognize uh, the, the works of witchcraft and how to avoid that snare and what these uh, witches are capable of doing. Uh, he talks about uh, when uh, Satan brings uh, people into his uh, snare through witchcraft that he places a mark somewhere on their bodies um, and that this mark uh, causes them much pain and that this enables Satan to have uh, control over that person through inflicting pain on their bodies. Uh, the various other ways that um, Satan uses witches uh, to cause uh, people to have torments and diseases and to make poisons uh, uh, to uh, kill people, and uh, uh, he talks about sicknesses, uh, how um, witches can uh, actually take the life of a person. Now, he's not talking about uh, Christian people, but he's talking about people who, through sin, uh, have left themselves vulnerable to the devices of uh, the devil and uh, how these witches work in, uh, in a contract, a compact with the devil uh, to do his will. He, he writes about how they are able to raise storms and tempests in the air, either upon sea or land, uh, and we've talked about that uh, in previous broadcasts about uh, this is called weathermancing. And Fra Francis Bacon even wrote in his uh, book, The New Atlantis, that uh, the enlightened man would be able to control the weather. 
and uh, and uh, so King James was aware of this uh, that these witches were conjuring up tempests and storms uh, to work the uh, uh, works of the devil against mankind. Uh, that they are able to make folks to become frenetic or maniac to cause mental diseases in uh, in people. Um, they can make spirits either to follow and trouble persons or to haunt certain houses and uh, to make to affright oftentimes the inhabitants of these houses um, and to make some to be possessed with spirits and so to become demoniacs. So King James uh, wanted his people not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And it is no wonder that uh, he incurred the wrath of these uh, witches and Satanists in uh, Great Britain and throughout the continent of Europe and why they uh, went to work uh, uh, opposing him and inventing every kind of slander that they could uh, to uh, revile him in the minds of people and uh, just to uh, discredit uh, this this wonderful king uh, who was exposing them. And yesterday we uh, discussed how King James also opposed them, their political uh, conspiracy to export the occult traditions to the continent of Europe and to uh, uh, start a, a, another uh, renaissance, really to revive the uh, renaissance in Europe after... Uh, this uh, renaissance had been uh, put down by uh, the uh, expulsion of the Templars uh, from Europe. And King James single-handedly uh, was responsible for thwarting the plans of the Rosicrucians in Europe, and they hated him uh, with, uh, with a vengeance. Now, I... Uh, King James not only wrote the demonology, he wrote several other uh, books and treatises. Uh, one of them was called the Basilicon Doran. He had uh, um, King James and his wife Anne uh, had nine children, uh, but only three of them lived uh, to adulthood. But he had two sons uh, that... Well, actually, he wrote the Basilicon Doron for his son, Prince Henry, uh, thinking that Henry would succeed him as king, but Henry uh, died as a young man. Nevertheless, he was burdened that his sons would uh, conduct their uh, uh, kingship, the, their role as kings, uh, in a Christian manner. And he, through this Basilicon Doron, uh, which uh, means the kingly gift, he wanted to convey to them uh, what uh, the scriptures had to say uh, about the principles that a king must follow 
uh, according to God, what God expected uh, of a king. And I'm going to read from the Basilicon uh, Doron uh, a little bit um, so that you can see uh, what king, how King James conducted uh, his uh, mandate from God as a king. And I quote, uh, Think not, now he's talking to his son Henry, Think not, therefore, that the highness of your dignity diminisheth your faults, much less giveth you a license to sin. But by the contrary, your fault shall be aggravated according to the height of your dignity. Any sin that you commit, not being a single sin, procuring but the fall of one, but being an exemplary sin, and therefore draw, draweth with it the whole multitude to be guilty of the same. In other words, God, the king's sin uh, would draw a whole nation into that sin, uh, as we saw with King Solomon, how his sin draw the whole, drew the whole nation of Israel into idolatry. Okay, continuing with King James, remember then that this, that this glistering worldly glory of kings is given them by God to teach them to press so as to glister and shine before their people in all works of sanctification and righteousness, that their persons as bright lamps of godliness and virtue may, going in and out before their people, give light to all their steps. Remember also that by the right knowledge and fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom, as Solomon saith, ye shall know all the things necessary for the discharge of your duty, both as a Christian and as a king, seeing in him, as in a mirror, the course of all earthly things, whereof he is the spring and only mover. Now the only way to bring you to this knowledge is diligently to read his word and earnestly to pray for a right understanding thereof. And throughout all of this, he uh, inserts references to uh, verses of Scripture for his sons. Uh, here he refers to John 5, verse 39. Search the Scriptures, uh, saith Christ, for they will bear testimony of me. And 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, the whole scriptures, saith Paul, are profitable to teach, to improve, to correct, and to instruct in righteousness, that the man of God may be absolute, being made perfect unto all good works. I join to this the careful hearing of the doctrine with attendance and reverence, for faith cometh by hearing, saith Paul. But above all, beware ye throw not the word to your appetite, as over many do, making it like a bell to sound, as ye please to interpret. But by the contrary, frame all your affections to follow precisely the rules there set down. 
Uh, and then he goes on to uh, write to his son, Henry, Would ye then know your sin by the law? Read the books of Moses containing it. Would you have a com- commentary thereupon? Read the prophets. Would you see how good men are rewarded and wicked punished? Look at the histories of Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, the Judges, Job, and Esther, but especially the books of the kings and chronicles, wherewith ye ought to be familiarly acquainted. For there will ye see yourself as in a mirror, either among the catalogues of the good or evil kings. Would ye know the life and death of Christ? Look to the evangelists. Would ye be more particularly trained up in this his school? Meditate upon the epistles of the apostles. And would ye be acquainted with the practices of that doctrine in the persons of the primitive church? Cast up the apostles' acts. As to the apocryphal books, I omit them because I am no papist, as I said before. And indeed, some of them are as like the dietment of the Spirit of God as an egg is to an oyster. Now, I haven't quite figured out what that means, but um, uh, the the thought is there that um, the apocryphal books are not uh, divinely inspired. Uh, they are not scriptures. And James makes very clear here that he is no uh, papist or Roman Catholic. Okay, and then continuing with uh, this excerpt from the Basilicon Duran. But when you read the scripture, read it with a sanctified and chaste ear. Admire reverently such obscure places as ye understand not, blaming only your own incapacity. Read with delight the plain places and study carefully to understand those that are somewhat difficult. Press on to be, press to be a good textuary, uh, for the scripture is ever the best interpreter of itself. In other words, you should be so familiar with the scriptures that you allow the text of the scripture to interpret itself. You can tell what a student of the word James was here. Okay, continuing on with his words. But press not curiously to seek out farther, nor is contained therein. For that were misnurtured presumption, to strive to farther upon God's secrets, nor he hath will ye be. For what he thought needful for us to know, that God hath revealed there. And delight most in reading such parts of Scripture as may best serve for your instruction in your calling, rejecting foolish curiosities upon numbers and genealogies which are but vain and profit not, as Paul saith, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 9. So here we see James instructing his son. He was very concerned uh, what would happen after his death because he knew the conspiracy of occultists that was afoot in Great Britain and that what his sons 
uh, did when they sat upon the throne uh, would determine what happened there in Great Britain and indeed the whole of Europe. And uh, so I was going to also read a brief uh, section from another um, book, uh, 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 an article that King James wrote. It was a meditation upon uh, the book of Matthew, um, a pattern for a king's inauguration. And it had to do with the king's uh, responsibility uh, to uh, bear the sword. And I'll just try to get as far as I can before the uh, time of the break. He writes, Temporal kings must not likewise be barred the sword, though it be not in his pattern, as I told before, for it to be drawn for the punishment of the wicked in defense of the good, for a king carries not his sword for naught. Uh, in other words, a king must uh, be able to uh, exercise the death penalty for the protection of uh, the good against the wicked. But um, And then he goes on to say, but it must neither be blunt, for laws without execution are without life, nor yet must it be ever drawn, for a king should never punish, but with a weeping eye. In a word, a Christian king should never be without that continual and ever uh, wakeful, wakeful care of the account he is one day to give to God of the good government of his people and their prosperous estate, both in soul and bodies which is a part of the health of his own soul. And then he shall never need to doubt of that happy and willing acclamation of his people with an uh, Ave Caesar or Hail King, uh, which was mentioned in this pattern, not only to begin at his entry to the crown, but even to accompany him all the days of his life thereafter. And when they have bedewed and washed his grave with their tears, his, pos- his posterity to be welcomed by them as a bright and sun-shining morning after a dark and gloomy night. In other words, the king who rules over his people in a godly fashion uh, will be loved uh, by his people. And King James was very loved uh, by the vast uh, majority of his kingdom. And as I read this portion of the meditation upon St. Matthew, um, I thought about uh, 2 Samuel, where David uh, reflects upon uh, the role uh, of a righteous king. And he says, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake unto me, he that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springeth out of the earth by clear shining after rain. And this is what the Word of God compares a good king uh, uh, to 
one that rules over men justly, uh, that he shall be as the light of the morning, even uh, as a morning without clouds. So we see here from the writings of King James uh, that he was a godly Christian man, that he exercised his duties as a king uh, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, um, and that he was felt that he was fully accountable to God uh, for his kingship, for his ministry to the people. And this really gives the lie to all of the slanderous uh, accusations that have been brought against this godly man uh, in, his, in his own day and shortly thereafter. And we're going to, in the second uh, hour, we're going to go into some of these accusations um, and who is bringing them forth. And uh, just to show that this conspiracy is against King James is continuing uh, even in our own day and where it is going to lead. 